Today's Bible reading is from Acts chapter 14, verses 1 to 20. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country, where they continued to preach the gospel. In Lystra, they sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed and called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temples was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates, because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, They tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from the heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. Thanks for reading, Emily, and good morning, everyone. My name's Carl. I'm the senior pastor here at Trinity Church Unley. Thank you for joining with us today. Thanks for uh, joining with us in person today. It is really terrific to be with you. If you're one of those people this morning who woke up and kind of thought, oh, no, I've got to get dressed to go to church today, can I say a very big thank you for making the effort, for putting on the Sunday best, and for joining us here in person today. I'm really glad to have you here because we're starting a a sort of six-week series uh, in the second half of the book of Acts this morning. And it's great to be in person with you as we launch off this series. We're going to be reading these last few chapters in the book of Acts together, looking at the mission of the early church. And what I want you to see is how the mission of the early church impacts or might impact, might influence how we go about making Jesus known to the world today. Let me tell you why we're doing this as a church at the moment. A couple of weeks ago, I had coffee with a man called David Helliard. David Helliard is the relationship manager at Compassion Australia. He asked me how things are going at church. 
I love that question at the moment. It's so great to be able to share all the good things that are happening at church here. The new people that have joined us this year, how a second service has just become part of what we do as a church. It was great to tell him about Jack who started with us this year and Hendre and, and all the good things that are happening at Trinity Church only. And as I was answering him, I could see the cogs in his head turning. You know, sometimes you can see, oh, there's a follow-up question coming here. And he said to me, he asked me, so what are you working on then? If all these things are going well, what do you need to work on as a church? It's a good question. Well, here's the thing. I think the big thing that we need to work on as a church at the moment, we need to be building connections with people, especially people who are outside of the church. Hear me carefully here. I'm not saying that we, we haven't been working hard enough at this in the past. No, really it's just that in the season that we find ourselves in at the moment, it's never been so hard to maintain relationships and connections with people away from us. Now think back to 2019. If I told you then that you're only allowed to have 10 people in your house, you just wouldn't believe me. If I said to you that, you couldn't travel to Victoria or New South Wales. It's just unheard of back then. We are less connected today by definition than we were back in 2019. It's not our fault, but it is the reality we find ourselves in. And that means our opportunities to speak to others about, about Jesus, our opportunity to share the good news of the, the hope we have with our friends, those opportunities just have to be less than they were 18 months ago. And so over the next six months, we're going to turn our attention to this idea of making connections with others in the hope that we might sharpen each other in this task, that we might encourage each other to keep building those connections. Of course, we need to stay and abide by the restrictions that have been uh, imposed around us to keep us safe. We have to be creative as we think about how we make connections. Today we're turning our attention back to the book of Acts and we're, we're jumping forward. We, we have been spending a bit of time in Acts. We've looked at chapters 1 to 3 as a church. We're now jumping forward to chapter 14. And I've chosen this chapter as our starting point for the next few weeks in Acts because I think it addresses a really important question that we need to get our heads around at the moment. And here's the question. Write it down if you want. Is this mission that we're on as a church, is the mission worth the cost? Is helping others come to know Jesus as Lord and Saviour, is it worth the cost that we're going to face? If you've got a leaflet when you came in this morning, uh, you'll see an outline for what I'm about to say to you. There are really three points today. And point one is, it just helps us to see the situation where Paul finds himself, I suspect, counting the cost of his ministry. It's pretty serious for him. He's been stoned almost to the point of death. He's counting the cost. And then points two and three in this passage, well, I think they answer the question of, is it worth the cost, with a very loud yes. And they say it in two different ways, but yes, it's worth the cost. Over the next few weeks, as we look at Paul's missionary journeys, I want us to be thinking through this stuff ourselves. How does this apply for us here in Adelaide? And to help us do that, we're going to embark on a project as a church. The staff team have been working on this project for the last few months. We're calling it Spring Connections. It's a project that's going to take us right through Term 3, right through the season of spring. And the idea behind it is really very simple. 
Spring Connections is all about making connections with other people. I'm hoping that our Spring Connections will encourage us to, to try and to plan and just to be more connected with, with those in our life, with our, our neighbours, maybe, friends that you've got from work, family, especially those who don't yet know Jesus. And the idea is that we might have opportunity in months or, or in years to come, maybe, to help them get to know the good news of Jesus, that Jesus is both Lord and Saviour. That's the very big objective of this, this project. We want people across the city of Adelaide to know Jesus as Lord and Saviour because we think it's a matter of life and death. It's important. Now, how we build connections, it's going to be, be different for all of us. Some of you are, are just naturally friendly, always smiling, always very friendly. Uh, someone like Jack, for example, uh, you might not know this, but Jack had a little holiday to Canberra uh, about five weeks ago now. He came back from Canberra and had to quarantine for two weeks, having been interstate. Uh, he got out of quarantine for a couple of days, only maybe three or four, uh, went out to a restaurant and was called. He needed to quarantine again another two weeks. He's only just back in the office the last few days. And yet the first time I see him, he's got a big smile on his face. He's happy because that's what Jack's like. He's a great bloke. Now, some of us, if you're like Jack, you'll find this task of connecting with others. That'll be easy for you. Others of us might find it a little bit more tricky. But still, I reckon all of us can find at least one way in which we can connect with people around us. Maybe it'll be that you go for a run with someone or a game of tennis. Now, I'm not going to go for a run with someone to try and connect because when I run, all that comes out of my mouth is a hot breath. There's no words that can possibly come out. But for some of you, that might be a great way for you to connect with others. Others of you might like to invite someone over to your house for a coffee or a meal. There's lots of ways in which you can do this. There's no set method. Now, we're going to talk about the, the how of the Spring Connections project a lot more over the next few weeks. Today, the how's not so important. Today, I simply want you to hear the idea of making connections with others. Because it's important. Now, some of you will be in community groups uh, already. Uh, community groups are midweek groups that meet to read the Bible together. Ian Saunders has put together a booklet uh, for our community groups that has some studies on helping us to do this better. If you'd like to grab one of those, they're in the uh, grey tub out on the hall out there. And over the next few weeks, we're also going to be reading this book together. It's called How to Talk About Jesus Without Being That Guy by Sam Chan. There are some copies of that book in the tub as well. If you're part of a community group, it would be great to pick up at least at least this booklet today because you'll be using that in your community groups over the coming few weeks. And if you'd like to read this book, please take it if you're going to read it. If you're not going to read it, um, please leave it in the in the box out there. That's, we'll talk a little bit more about the how over the coming few weeks. Sam Chan's book and the Bible study booklets are going to be part of that how. But here's the thing for us today. I reckon most of us are going to find the idea of connecting with others a little challenging. It's not easy to do it. It's not easy back when there were no restrictions in place. It's even harder today when you can't have so many people around. And so you might be asking yourself a question, either today or in the weeks ahead. Is this project, is it worth the effort? You might even question the ultimate aim. Wonder really, is the gospel good news? Is it really good news? And that's why we're looking at chapter 14 of Acts this morning. 
building connections, explaining the gospel. It's, it's not an easy thing to do. It wasn't easy back in Paul's day. Let me show you that. Come with me to chapter 14 in your Bible. Paul's traveling with his friend Barnabas. And we're on what we now call Paul's first missionary journey. I've got a little video, a map of, it's very hard to see, I apologize, on the screen behind me. Paul's traveling through what we would call Turkey today. And in chapter 14, it starts in a town called Iconium. Let me read to you the first few verses of chapter 14. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual to the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. Well, so far, so good. But here's the question. Was it an easy time for Paul and Barnabas in Iconium? Well, let's read on and see. Verse 2. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. Then come down to verse 5. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and stone them. In Iconium, a great number believed the message about Jesus. But even despite that, it's not an easy place for Paul and Barnabas to be. In verse 5, we read of a plot to mistreat and, and even stone them. Now, the stoning doesn't actually happen here, but if you look across the page, if you've got Bibles open to, to verse 19 of chapter 14, there Paul is stoned. They thought they'd even killed him. They dragged him out of the city thinking he was dead. Now, here's the question I think Luke, our author, wants us to be asking. Is it worth it? Is it worth proclaiming the gospel? Is it worth the cost to Paul? He's been stoned, left for dead. Well, so what about us today? Is it, is it worth the cost that we might face today? I think this is a great question for us to ask as we start a project like Spring Connections. It's good for us to have an answer to that question in our mind, to understand philosophically and theologically, is it worth it? Because Spring Connections might be hard work for you. Is it worth it? Now, I want to be clear with you uh, before we go any further. Spring Connections, I'm not asking you to be exactly like Paul. I'm not asking you to go and preach in the local synagogue. I'm not even asking you to have all the answers like Paul had. Spring Connections is not about being the best evangelist. It's not about being a gun evangelist. No, we're, we're just asking and encouraging you to make connections. Connections that might, at a later point, enable you to have the relational credit to invite a friend to a Christmas service or, or a life course or an Easter event. But even I reckon making connections, even that I think might come with a cost. It'll cost you time. It'll be easier to stay home on a Saturday night and, and watch TV than, than host some people over for dinner. It might cost you financially. You might decide to invite a friend to the footy and pay for them to come with you. It might cost you in other ways. Maybe you might face rejection, inviting someone to do something. They might say no. You might have a meal that you make that's unappreciated or an offer of companionship that's rejected. Is it worth it? Well, I want you to see today, Luke, our, our author to Acts, he answers this question with a, with a really big yes. He does it in two ways. Firstly, in verses 8 to 10. 
Now, by this stage, Paul has moved on to the next town, to Lystra. Let me read to you verses 8 to 10. Would you see how he answers this question with a yes? In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He'd been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed and called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. What, we, what we're reading here is an incredible miracle, isn't it? It's a wonder, as the book of Acts calls them. It's a bit like Peter and John, if you remember back to chapter 3. A man who had never walked jumps up and does so. But I think it's also a literary device that Luke is using here to show us the goodness of the gospel. To show us a taster or a snapshot of what's happening to us spiritually when we accept Jesus. And it answers the question of, is it worth it? With a great big yes. How? Well, this is a picture, isn't it? Of healing and restoration and new life and hope and renewal. It's playing out in the physical world, but it's echoing the spiritual reality that Jesus offers for all of us. Healing, restoration, new life, hope. These are the things that are held out for us in the gospel. This is great news. A man who couldn't walk, had never walked a day in his life, jumps up and walks. And this is a, a, it echoing what's happening to us spiritually. Great news. It's even greater when we reflect on how broken we are without Jesus. When was the last time you, you took some time to seriously examine the, the state of your own heart? To look at your own sinfulness. And if you do that carefully and clearly, I think we'll see that without Jesus, we are broken people. And if you see yourself this way, the joy of the gospel, the freedom that it brings, it really is good news, great news. As good as being able to jump to your feet and walk, having never been able to do so. The verses 8 to 10, I think, answer this question. Is it worth it by showing us physically the restoration of a lame man, healing, renewal. But I think it echoes what happens spiritually for all of us when we embrace the gospel. It's worth the cost. The gospel is a message about how God heals and restores and fixes what is broken. It's a message of hope. It's delightful news, which makes it worth the cost. But that's not the end of this passage, is it? It goes on. The people of, of Lystra, they're captured by this incredible miracle that's playing out in front of them. And they respond in a way that looks a little bit strange for us today. They think of, of Paul and Barnabas as gods and they start making preparations to sacrifice to them. Let me read on for you in verse 11. This is what it says. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Laconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. Now to understand what's going on here, I think we kind of need to wrap our heads around the religion of the day. In Greek mythology, there are a, a whole host of gods, a, a pantheon you might call them, 
Among them are gods that you might have heard of, people like Zeus and Hermes, they're mentioned here, but also Artemis and Anthea and Aphrodite and Apollo and, and so on. There's a whole pantheon of them. And each god was, was responsible for certain aspects of, of, of your life. So if you were a farmer and your crops had failed, then that might have been because you hadn't paid enough attention to the god of agriculture, to Demeter. If you wanted your crops to flourish the following year, then you'd better make some more sacrifices or offer more attention to that particular God. If your love life wasn't going very well, maybe you better give more attention to Eros. In their thinking, there were, were many gods, each with a different role, and yet they were all known to be fickle and cruel and vindictive and jealous and insecure. Can you imagine how, how confusing life would be if that was the way that your, your worldview worked? Many gods, all of them insecure, all needing to be appeased. And even when you thought you'd appeased them, they were, they were fickle gods and capricious, and so your good intentions, they might just amount to nothing. Now, in the city of Lystra, there's also a little bit more going on. There was a, a legend that Zeus and Hermes had visited this city before they'd visited the region there they'd come disguised as normal people and they'd come seeking a place to stay i think they were rejected at a number of houses and then finally they found a safe place to stay with an older couple now the legend has it that that house was subsequently transformed into a magnificent temple and the older couple into priests that ran that temple and yet those who had rejected them well their houses were completely destroyed wiped out and so now the people in this city where this legend took place or supposedly took place are now thinking that the gods are back and they need to be appeased as quick as possible. Now this was your worldview that the gods were responsible for every aspect of life and yet they were cruel and needed to be appeased. Can you see how confusing life would be? How uncertain? There's no predictability, no kindness and no goodness. And yet, in a way, I don't reckon this is that different to our culture today. There are superstitions or ideas that many of us are kind of more or less tied to. I mean, we saw this in the kids' talk. Would you walk under a ladder or would you choose to walk around it? If a black cat crosses your path, what do you think? Now, ladders and cats might be a bit trite, but, but do you pay any attention? Do you have any space in your worldview for things like karma? good deeds or the universe being for or against you do you think there's a yin and a yang sort of force in the world do you lie in bed at night wondering if things from your past might catch up with you let me just take a moment to check are these things part of your worldview i know many of you are doctors here if you are would you ever say on a quiet day at work gee the ward's quiet today or the hospital's quiet would you dare to offer a saying like that I just take a moment to consider, do we think about things in this way? And if we do, and you're sitting here today in church, reading the Bible, hearing a worldview that includes God, what about our neighbours who don't do this? What is shaping their worldview? Maybe they're like so many others who see God as an angry man in the sky who's waiting to pounce upon them. Maybe our neighbours are dabbling in things like rituals or charms or spells. I read an article this week that suggested that there are nearly more New Age witches, they call themselves the Wicca, 
more new age witches in the US than there are Presbyterians today in the US. Now that fact might be slightly overstated, but it, it does show, doesn't it, that our world today is not that dissimilar to the world in which Paul walked and talked and preached. What do these things have in common, these superstitions, Greek mythology, dark religion, what do they have in common? Well, they, they leave you uncertain, don't they? Uncertain of your future. Have you sacrificed enough? Have you walked under too many ladders? Have you said the right spells? You never really know, do you? Life might be going well today, the pantry might be full, but it could all come crashing down tomorrow. I want you to see how Paul speaks into a world like that. He points to a God who made the world and he shows that he's kind and good and reliable and dependable. So is the gospel worth sharing? Is it really good news? Paul says, yes, absolutely. Because the God of the Bible, the God that he's talking about, firstly, he's the only real God, the one true God who, who made everything, who made all, but he's also a good God. He's not capricious. He's not cruel. He's dependable and kind and good. Let me show you this from the text. Come with me down to verse 15 of the passage. Paul says, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He's shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Is the gospel message worth sharing? Absolutely, says Paul. Because the gospel is the story of the living God. Paul tells the people in, in this city, turn from their worthless things. They're doing worthless because they're empty and hollow. That They pay homage to gods that are, are just no gods at all. And he tells them instead to turn to the living God. The one who made the earth and the sea and everything in them. And what is this God like? Well, he's not cruel and he's not capricious. He's dependable and kind and good. Some of you might know Morgan and Joy Nutt. They were with us a couple of weeks ago. They visit every now and again when they're down in the city. They live most of the time in Oruru in the upper mid-north of the state. I asked Morgan, what have you been up to recently? A few weeks back in the middle of winter, he said he'd been out planting seeds, seeding the paddocks, sowing the wheat and the oats and the other sorts of grain. Why is he doing this in the middle of winter when it's freezing cold? Well, Morgan knows that God is dependable, that winter will turn to spring and the seeds have got to be in the ground for them to grow. There's no point making sacrifices to another God, hoping that the winter cold will end and the warm sun will come up. The living God will do these things. He's dependable. Paul shows the people of Lystra what God is like, kind, dependable and good. Now many of you today, I hope, already know this about our God. You know that he's a good God, a God who saves. You know that he's good for you. Today, I want you to see that he's not just good for us for us who are sitting here in church today. He's good for everyone. 
The gospel's not just good news for us. It's good for our neighbours, our friends, those outside of church. And I hope that this encourages you as we, we head into this project called Spring Connections. We might think of the gospel as good for us. We might be a bit unsure if it's also good news for our neighbours. Do they really need to know the God who we know? Acts 14 says yes. Not only that, it says it's worth the cost. Because we know a God who has promised through Jesus to restore and forgive and renew those who trust in him, to heal them. We know the God who made this world and we know that he is reliable, good and kind. That's right that we help others to know that too. And we pray that we'd be a church that's able to do that well. Almighty God, we praise you because you are a good God, a kind God and a dependable God. We thank you so much that in and through the work of your Son, you have forgiven those who trust in him, healed those who love him and restored them to you. We thank you for Jesus' work on the cross. Father, we pray that you would equip us with confidence to share and connect with others for your name's sake and that we'd play our part in the mission of the church to see the good news of Jesus as Lord and Saviour go from here to all parts of the world. We ask this trusting in your powerful son's name. Amen.